Thanks for checking out Chemistry Connections on the Hopewell Valley Student Podcasting Network, a proud partner of HVSPN.com, where students come together to publish content to share with the world. The opinions represented within this episode are those of the content creators only. Please enjoy the show. Welcome Welcome to to Chemistry Connections. Connections. My name is Alex. And my name is Tom. And we are your hosts for episode 11 called The Chemistry of Computers. Today we'll be discussing how chemistry is essential for the function of computers. What's up, Alex? Not much, Tom. I'm doing good. Ready to talk about the chemistry of computers. Of course. Let's get into it. Computers are heavily present in our society today. They're used in almost all jobs, schools, and pretty much all, all functions of life. And these computers, um, we rely on them like, cr- like crazy. And uh, these computers, they rely on chemistry. There are many parts of the computer which rely on chemistry that are necessary for its function. One more well-known part is the motherboard. It's like the nervous system of the computer that allows all the different components to communicate with each other. The next part is the central processing unit, um, commonly referred to as the CPU. This is a silicon chip that is similar to a brain in a human, and it processes all the data for the computer. These days, most computers also store information in a device called a solid-state drive, or SSD, which holds all the information for the computer. Alongside these are more behind-the-scenes aspects, like screens or batteries. All of these components mentioned use electricity and generate heat. So in order to prevent the computer from getting too hot, they also all need to be cooled, mostly by fans. So most of these computer parts are uh, reliant on uh, several different types of materials, which are sorted into three main categories, conductors, semiconductors, and insulators. So these um, conductors allow uh, conduct electricity because they allow electrons to flow and they can transfer from particle to particle. Um, on the opposite side of this, insulators don't allow electrical current to flow and it has higher levels of resistance. And somewhere in between these two, um, these two materials are semiconductors and they allow for electricity to be controlled using a slightly resistant material. This is mostly seen through silicon chips in computers, and silicon is the most typical material used. This is because pure silicon is constructed from atoms that contain four electrons in the orbital farthest from the atom's nucleus. Because of this atomic structure, the silicon atoms are covalently bonded together to form a crystalline lattice. By themselves, this lattice does not conduct electricity, so there's change, there, they, they are modified so that um, it does. These electrons, so the electrons are held, in, held stable in a rigid structure. And in order for this silicon to become a semiconductor, electrons must be added or subtracted. This process starts with materials that either have three or five electrons. And they are mixed into the silicon to 
to disrupt the covalent bonds in the crystal in the in the crystal structure. This process is called doping. Not like not like the athlete doping, like, like <laughs> yeah. silicon doping. And uh, one one type of this doping is called n-type doping, and that's specifically with materials with five electrons in the outer orbital. And the most common materials are the, for this are phosphorus and arsenic. These materials add a fifth free electron into the lattice, which allow the material to conduct electricity since the electrons are now free-flowing. Similar to this, p-type doping is done with materials that have three electrons in the outer ring. Some example, examples of this are boron or gallium. The addition of an atom like this leaves the absence of an electron or a hole through the fleet in which the free-flowing electron can travel. NMP-type semiconductors are used to create transistors, which are small devices that are essential for the function of computers. Transition, transistors act as both electrical, switch, electrical switches as well as amplifiers, and can be used to retain code as memory blocks, making them crucial to a micro, microchip manufacturing, like the ones we mentioned earlier. From processors to memory cards, they are very important to making a computer function. Wow, there's a lot going on behind the scenes in computers. Yeah, it truly is fascinating. All right, let's talk about something people might see, such as the screens. As everyone knows, computers have the screens which are basically the entire function of the computer. However, there's a lot going on behind the screens which dictates how they work. A lot of people know, or some might know, that these screens are often called LCD screens, which stands for liquid crystal display. Uh, what this means is that the display um, is created using liquid crystal molecules and polarizing filters. Um, as LEDs, um, as the backlight for the uh, screen, um, they will send the light towards the screen. However, just doing this wouldn't display a picture because the same light would be displayed the whole time, which means it would just be a white light on the screen. This is where the polarizing filters and the liquid crystal molecules come into play. What a polarizing filter does is it will take the light waves and only allow a certain orientation of light waves through. There are two of these filters placed at a 90 degree angle, um, with one placed at a 90 degree angle, which means that none of the light waves would be allowed through because the first filter would have one orientation and the second would have a different orientation, which would block out all of the light waves. This is where the liquid crystal molecules between the two filters come into play. Liquid crystal molecules are molecules that exist in a state between liquids and solids because they flow like a liquid but retain the crystal-like arrangements of a solid. They usually have a rod-like molecular structure, structure with dipole-dipole bonds, which is crucial because it allows them to be altered by an elec electric field. What this means is that they will generally have the same orientation as a solid, such as they're all facing the same direction without the same lattice structure, um, but they also will not lose this orientation like a liquid might. Uh, the, the biggest effect of these liquid crystal molecules is that they can bend light waves, meaning that when they are placed in between the two polarizing filters, they can twist the light waves that have already been polarized so that they will fit the second filter. This means that when the liquid crystal molecules are in between the two filters, light can shine through them. However, Going back to the bonds between them and how they can be um, altered by an electric field, if there is an electric field 
um, on the on the molecules, they will lose their structure because it will interfere with the bonds and they will no longer be able to twist the light. This means that it wouldn't be able to twist from the original polarizing filter to go through the second polarizing filter and no light would show through. Since these screens are backed by LEDs, um, which are constantly on, uh, the screens work by essentially turning on and off the liquid crystal molecules um, to decide when light can show through and where light can show through. Uh, which is done by applying electric fields to the molecules when um, they want no light to shine through and allowing the liquid crystal molecules to stay in their structure when they do. By doing this in varying areas of, areas of the screen um, and in varying ways, they can allow different amounts of light to show through in different positions, which is how you see what you do. Wow, I did not know there was that much chemistry in screens. Mm. So Tom, I got a question for you. Have you ever noticed your computer getting hot while you're using it? Yeah, I have. Sometimes when I'm using it on my lap, I feel my, my lap start to warm up. You know why that is? Why? It's because all these computer components that are using electricity, and when this electricity passes through circuits and wires, it meets a natural degree of resistance. And the stronger and more powerful the component is, the more heat it generates. So in order for the computer to stay working and to not burn the person that's using it, it's cooling is necessary. So basically there are two types of cooling in computers. There's air cooling and water cooling. Water cooling is mostly seen in like those crazy custom PCs, that, uh, personal computers that you see on the internet, but it's still really very relevant in the co uh, cooling industry. Water cooling, this is because water cooling is more efficient than air cooling because water has a high specific heat or large heat capacity. This means that it takes a lot more energy to change the temperature of water. This chemical prop property makes it ideal for cooling computers. Hmm. Talking about cooling, that reminds me. Do you remember when we tried to build our computer and struggled to put in the fans? Oh yeah, back in your garage and we didn't really have the lights and we had to find the flashlights in your attic. Yeah. Good it was, times, it good was times. interesting. Yeah. I mean, I really think that's part of the reason why we find this so interesting, just because we have such a per strong personal connection. Myself building a computer, and then you building yours shortly afterwards. And we're playing, we play games. Yeah. You know, surf the internet. It's just truly amazing how these computers um, are able to do so much and how much they've advanced in the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, when we were building the computers, I was always wondering about like why there were so many parts made out of metal and like um, you know why like the different cooling methods had to be used and uh, it's interesting to find out that all of this just really relates back to like chemistry on a molecular level. Yeah I totally agree I mean you really start to think about how all this stuff works it's so complicated yet building it is actually like really pretty straightforward it's kind of just like connecting the wires. Yeah. Especially since, you know, computers and this kind of technology that we're discussing is used every day in people's lives now. It's interesting to find out how, you know, this all just relates back to the same, same chemical elements as everything else in the world. And it's just used in these different ways. Yeah, I mean, there's properties in computers that share with some things that are so much different, but it all just relates to the same molecular properties and stuff like that. Yeah. All right, well, this concludes our 
um, episode on the chemistry of computers. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you for listening to this episode of Chemistry Connections. For more student-run podcasts and digital content, make sure that you visit www.hvspn.com.